Greetings in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Appreciated the things that have been shared here. Encouragements, exhortations, songs, verses. Thank the Lord for His Word and its inspiring and encouraging Encouragement that it gives to our hearts. So, amen. Maybe we could just take a moment and seek God's blessing on the continued service. Shall we do that? God, our Father, thank you again. We're here in your presence, desiring a blessing from heaven. Father, desiring again that uh, the Spirit of God would give inspiration. Lord, the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. And that is our prayer here today. Father, I can share a few thoughts. I can share some things that I've studied and organized to present in a somewhat orderly fashion, but Father, unless the Holy Spirit inspires the words that are spoken, it will not minister, and it will not build the people of God in kingdom perspective. So Father, we come this moment as needy souls before your throne, asking for mercy and grace to help in time of need, Asking, Father, that the Holy Spirit would give inspiration beyond even my desires and thoughts, Lord. And that the words that we share today could indeed be something of eternal truth. Something that could make a difference in our lives here today. In the future, the lives of our families, the lives of our children, in the future generations. So, Father, we commit this hour to you, trusting that you will, by your Spirit, minister to each heart here today. You understand us, you know each one present, and you know and you are able, by your Spirit, to give that which is desired and needed, Lord. So, Father, we thank you and bless you again in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You can turn in your Bibles to the book of Malachi, chapter 4. We'll look at the... uh, The few verses that finish out the Old Testament to begin in Malachi 4, I think I'll just read verse 4, 5, and 6, remember ye The law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb, for for all Israel, 
with the statues and judgments. Behold, I, say, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to, the, to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. <clears throat> I suppose by the reading of those scriptures, you have at least a little bit of an idea where I might be going. I believe the last time, I didn't double check the calendar, but I I know it was very recently I was on schedule to preach, and I looked at my calendar Sunday morning and noticed that it was Father's Day. And uh, I knew at that point my message had no... uh, no uh, tr- no special interest in Father's Day, and, and uh, not that I felt like it needed to, and that, not that I felt at that point like I would focus on Father's Day at any point, but uh, as I pre- was preparing for this message, I, I realized that, well, we can have a Father's Day message a couple weeks late, maybe. Several... Uh, Several uh, things that inspired my thoughts um, down this line of thinking, and I've read these verses verses recently and uh, and pondered them at different times. You know, over the years, um, there was a sense in which for many years in our in our setting with uh, charity and also harmony there's a sense in which for many years we kind of didn't pay a lot of attention to the subject of the home because we felt like everyone had probably listened to the godly home series at some point and felt like the the uh, the job was well done and probably didn't feel it a huge pressing need for many years. But we, even as we, uh, I don't know where the discussion was. It wasn't in brothers' meeting. I don't remember where all our discussions were. But we discussed the subject of uh, recently of the godly home and who has listened to it and... Uh, and uh, we discover there's a younger generation that has actually never heard it. Um, and, yeah, unless we rise to the challenge and preach on these subjects, they will be neglected. Uh, <clears throat> and unless we uh, take, yeah, take uh, these things serious and consider... You know, as we think about in today's title, the message is titled, The Focus of a Father's Heart. The Focus of a Father's Heart. You know, I think we probably all agree that we somewhat value last words. Um, you know, it's always Kind of interesting when someone passes, especially if it's a relative or someone we're close to, we like to be there to hear the last words, or if we weren't there to hear it, we like to, find, you know, 
hear what they said. What were their last words? Um, just something about last words. And, you know, someone passes away quickly. We often think back now, what were their last words? What was my last conversation with them? Something about last words. <clears throat> you know, the book of Malachi overall is a book of last words to the Old Covenant, the Old Testament people. And if you reflect on the book at all, you you, you kind of see God... Uh, saying some pretty straightforward things to his people as kind of a last word to them, as a, a bit of a closing of the, of the uh, Old Covenant. But it, it should at least increase our interest to discover what the very last words of the book are. You know, why would God in heaven close the book with this Verse, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. There is, uh, I think there's, uh, there's a number of things that we can learn from this scripture. For one thing, I think we can learn that the relationship between fathers and their children is very important. And we can also learn that it's very important to God that uh, the relationship of uh, fathers and their children. We might ask the question, why? Why would it be that that relationship is very important to God? So much so that God says if, if this thing is broken down, the earth is going to be smitten with a curse. Why is God so emphatic about this subject? <clears throat> I think we can also learn from this uh, scripture that it is very possible for fathers' hearts to be turned elsewhere. And we know that. We know that all too well, don't we, in our world and even in our own lives at times. The the challenge of not allowing our hearts to be caught up in other things that are of lesser importance and of lesser, uh, yeah, lesser value. So we would like to consider just a bit this morning why the focus of a father's heart is so important. I would suppose after I'm finished, uh, there would be a lot more that could be said, uh, because I don't uh, definitely don't feel like I'm going to exhaust the subject. <clears throat> the first point we'd like to consider as to why it is why the focus of a father's heart is so important is that God has chosen to convey truth. From one generation to another. We will look at some verses and see how God speaks to this subject. But uh, it is a reality that God has chosen to convey truth from one generation to another. And God had this to say of Abraham in Genesis 18 verse 19. For I know him 
Abraham that, that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of. And there God is speaking from the standpoint of a blessing uh, as he regards Abraham. He uh, and, and the blessing is the fact that God looked on Abraham and said, I know Abraham. I know him. He will command his children and his household after him. That's a blessing. Those are blessed words to be said of a man. He will command his children and his household after him. Think how our world would change. Think how our world could be different if for generations men of God would have had this testimony. That they will command their children and their households after them. And I say men of God because all households, they're being taught somehow or another. And uh, everyone is learning something somewhere. But unfortunately, so much is being learned that is just nothing but sin and evil in our world. But Abraham had that testimony. Also in Deuteronomy 6, and let's turn to that, Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to read verse 1 to 7, get a context of what is being said here. Now, these are the commandments and statues. These are the commandments, the statues, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it. This is Moses speaking to the children of Israel. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statues and his commandments which I command thee Thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it that it may be well with thee and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and, thou, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and, upon, and, and on thy gates. 
I think we'll stop there. Uh, that gives us the context of what we wanted to see. Uh, again, God uh, exhorting Israel after he had given them clear instruction, after he had clearly taught them his precepts and, and, and truths and uh, uh, the... And not just per se as a law of do and don'ts, do's and don'ts, but just like he says here, puts the uh, verse 5 in there, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And then tells us to teach these things diligently unto their children and uh, talk of them when they're sitting in their houses, when they're walking in the way, when they're lying down, when they're rising up. So basically, uh, again, it's just it's the the concept of 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 uh, truth being conveyed from one generation to another, and uh, that was a burden on the heart of God, a clear burden that uh, that the children of Israel, having seen uh, the mighty works of God, having received the law of God, having uh, been exhorted to love God with all their hearts, having been His people, God was uh, burdened that they then would rise up and convey that truth and that reality to the next generation. <clears throat> that was the heart of God. Also in Ephesians... Chapter 6, verse 4, the scripture tells us, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Same idea. Bringing them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Instructing them in the ways of, of God. Instructing them in the ways of Christ and of His kingdom and of His uh, purposes. Bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In Proverbs <clears throat> The proverb writer has a lot to say about a father teaching his children. And we'll just uh, look at a little bit of that in Proverbs 4, where that comes through very clearly. I'll read some here in Proverbs 4, maybe verse 1 to 4 to begin. Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding, for I give you good doctrine... Forsake ye not my law, for I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. And then if we drop down to verse 10, he says this, Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. And we could look at numerous verses like that but uh, in Proverbs, but they give a very clear indication of fa- a father teaching his son. A father passing on to the next generation the truth, and the truth about God. And in fact, his testimony is that my father taught me also. And I'm teaching you. Um, that's, the, uh, that's the burden of God that uh, in turning the hearts of fathers to children and hearts of children to fathers, that the uh, that truth can be conveyed from one generation to another. That the uh, truth about God and His uh, kingdom and His purposes can be conveyed from one generation to another. 
You know, one of the blessings that we have, and I would say Israel had this blessing as well, in the context of the Christian church, we are not alone in carrying out that responsibility. In other words, uh, we have help. You know, when I bring my family here, and we all sit down in these chairs, and other brothers get up here and, and start teaching the Word of God, you're helping me. You're helping me in my responsibility to convey to my family and my children in the next generation the truth about God, about His kingdom, about His purposes, about His plan, about His will for our lives while we're here on earth. And that's a blessing. Uh, in fact, Ephesians even speaks of that, where it, in Ephesians 4, where it's, it speaks of uh, the gifts that are given to the church and how He gives some apostles and, and uh and some prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. <clears throat> and uh, that till we all come into the unity of the faith. And so we, there we have that picture of, uh, of uh, how that uh, in the context of church, uh, we actually uh, have a tremendous blessing in that uh, uh, we become a body conveying truth to the next generation. Not just uh, uh, me as a father alone in, a, in this cold, wicked world trying to accomplish this task. But we have an entire body working together uh, to that end and to that purpose. And, and that, is God's, uh, that is God's will. Now the danger, <clears throat> obviously, or one of the dangers can be that as fathers then we uh, become lethargic and lazy. And figure that, well, we just take our children to church and then it will all happen. And sometimes that works out okay. But uh, that is uh, not really the heart of God. The heart of God is still that as a father, our heart is turned toward our children. Because we as parents uh, should have, should have the primary influence in the lives of our children. Because we probably spend more time with them than most others do. So we should have that primary influence. And if we, uh, if our hearts are not turned toward them and we just kind of figure, oh well, we'll take them to a good church and that will take care of it. Um, it might work, but it might not. It might not. And uh, so, yeah, God has... God is concerned about the hearts of fathers. <clears throat> we fill a very critical spot in the lives of our children regarding what uh, what they're being taught and uh, how they're being how truth is being conveyed to them. You know the reality is that as we as we think about truth being conveyed from one generation to another the reality is that the parents and the church body that you have chosen to be an active participant in should be the primary influences in the lives of your children. That was a lot said. Let me say it again. You as parents and the church body you have chosen to be an active participant in should be the primary influence in the lives of your children. 
We live in a world where uh, the potential to influence comes from uh, from every side, from all sides, and especially in a, in uh, in the electronic age. It uh, it began, you know, with the radio, where the uh, a few people were able, and 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 with television, where a few people were able. Or yeah, uh, uh, people were able to become pretty uh, major influence influencers in society, uh, and you could put and a person could sit in some some ho- some uh, office in in California and influence half the nation or more, just through the the, the media of a radio or a television, and uh, and they did, and they did. You know why? Why is it that uh, there's uh, such a, a considerable difference in Africa from the town of Mbeya to the village of Ibuna? Ibuna, Ibuna. Did I say it right, Jeshua? <laughs> uh, why is it that there's such a major difference in how the people live, in how they look, in in their overall uh, uh, disposition? Uh, Neither of them, neither neither environments are good environments, but there's a vast difference. Now that difference is changing, but the, the, one of the reasons there is a difference is because in some of these situations they they have been totally blocked out from the basic world information world that exists today, from the modern world, from the Western influence is what we call it when we're over there, but that. That, um, but that is breaking down, and uh, with technology, the Western influence is coming to the village of Ivuna, and it's changing the people of Ivuna. You know, uh, the uh, the uh, the Western culture, the Western world, the Western sin, the Western idolatry, the Western wickedness is now uh, being transmitted into a little uh, poor. A village in a very remote part of the world, and these folks without Christ, already in, in sinfulness, are now adding to their sinful lives the sins of the Western world and the wickedness of the Western world. And it's all being uh, conveyed in there by the power of influence. And so we live in a world where influence is, uh, well, it is uh, the devil. The devil is, uh, <clears throat> how does the scripture say, he would deceive the very elect if he could. And I don't think anybody's going to argue with me that the, that the devil through the avenue of the world or whatever you want to call it, however he's doing it, he is, he is throwing his wicked influence in every aspect of life in every way that he can, to trip up every soul that he can, to deceive every soul possible, and it is coming like a flood. And I don't think you'll argue with me, with that. <clears throat> we know that is true. And we have to wonder how long it will be until God will say, like he said in the days of Noah, that the earth is so wicked and that there really is nothing to do anymore 
but to hit the switch, as we might say, to destroy it. <clears throat> In the, uh, as you think about that as parents, it's a sobering thing. It really is sobering. As we think about the, uh, the challenge that you and I have today to, uh, to uh, be on top of these issues in the lives of our children. And to, as it were, to see to it that the walls of our home are not broken down. You know, like the walls were in the day of Nehemiah. And Jerusalem lay waste. You know, that's a picture, can be a picture of our homes. That the, uh, that the walls are not broken down and that the enemy is not coming in and laying waste our children. Laying waste the years and the energies that we have put into our children. Laying waste the, uh, yeah, the, uh, character and, and graces that were wrought in their lives and destroying them in a short time what we took years to build. <clears throat> but that potential exists. And so, today, again, it's a sober reminder to us as fathers that we really have our homework cut out in this day. And that we, uh, that we be serious about our responsibility and that our focus, the focus of our hearts, would be turned toward our children. That we would have our, uh, that they would, that that that, um, that that they would be a primary burden and passion in our souls. That their spiritual well-being, that their uh, their. Uh, Development, their, uh, the influence that comes into their lives, the things that they are taught, the things that they are feeding on, the things that they are taking into their lives, that it would be a burden on our hearts, that we would watch over those things as fathers and guide them in a, in, into things that are profitable, things that are upbuilding, things that uh, uh, pertain to the kingdom of Christ and and things that uh, pertain to the uh, kingdom perspective as we see it here. Because it's very easy to become the disciple of other, quote, Christian teachers in our world. It's very easy. You can do it, well, you can just, you can do it on your phone, you can do it on your computer, you can bring a teacher from California, uh, you know, some quote, uh, high-profile Christian teacher into your life and listen to his teachings and make it, become his disciple and learn of his ways and, and uh, develop a, a, a Christian kingdom perspective as he promotes it. And is that what you really want for your children? It's so easily done in our world today. <clears throat> and so I want to encourage us as fathers, to recognize that God has chosen to convey truth from one generation to another. And you as a father do have a responsibility concerning what truth your children are taught. 
And if you are negligent, and your children become the disciple of a, uh, of a, uh, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say a false Christian teacher. I'm just gonna say it that way. Someone who is not teaching the truths of the Word of God. Someone who is not teaching the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And a, and a life of discipleship. A life of submission and obedience to Christ. And you have not protected your children. You have not watched over them. You have not guided them. And and been aware of what they are feeding on. A responsibility lies at your door. So I just want our hearts to be sobered. This is a day, this is a, this generation that we live in is a, is a, is, it's, it's a test of the age, really. I don't know where the end of time is. But the, the enemy is coming in like a flood. And we, it, it, it we must be awake. We must be awake. So I want to encourage us. God has given us as parents, as fathers, as particularly this responsibility of conveying truth from one generation to another. If our focus is not turned toward our children, the focus of our heart, there is a breach in this avenue of nurturing the next generation. And the results won't be pleasant. <clears throat> like to consider a couple of pitfalls that are coming to fathers as we recognize this responsibility, as we recognize the weightiness of it. There's some pitfalls that are so common. The first one we'll find is in First Samuel, and you turn there. First Samuel chapter seven. We'll begin reading in chapter 7, verse 15. It says, And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went from year to year in circuit from Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah and judged Israel in all those places. And his return was to Ramah, for there was his house. And there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar unto the Lord. And it came to pass when Samuel was old that... He made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of the first was Joel. The name of the second was Abiah. And they were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in the ways, in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. And we'll stop there. The, uh, the elders of Israel came to Samuel then and had, a, had an issue with that, but one of the common pitfalls of uh, fathers when it comes to this matter of having a heart that is focused uh, toward our children, one of the common pitfalls is busyness. Busyness. 
You know, I don't know what could have been done about this situation, but it's very evident that uh, he went from year to year in circuit, from to Bethel, to Gilgal, to Mizpah, and then back to uh, uh, Ramah. I don't know how long those journeys took. I know he didn't uh, have a car that went 55, 60 miles an hour. And I know he didn't have an airplane to fly it either. And I don't know how far the journeys were. But he made his rounds. Apparently every year. He probably spent a good bit of time away from home doing that. And the unfortunate thing about it is, it seems to have had an effect on his sons. That dad wasn't home nearly as much as he probably should have been. Busyness. You know, and this is a case where it's actually the Lord's work that had a man busy. And that is something that is a subject all of its own, but even the Lord's work is not an excuse for negligence in our homes. And it won't pay off. There have been men, and uh, there have been men in my generation who have said, if I do the Lord's work, the Lord's going to take care of my home. He's going to take care of my family. It has not worked. It just doesn't work. It's not the way God intended it to be. And uh, so even as, you know, those of us who, quote, are in the Lord's work, want to be in the Lord's work, whatever we want to call it, Pursuing things of the kingdom, we have to be careful that uh, we keep our priorities in the order that God has them. And our family, if we have children, are a priority that must be at the top. But busyness comes in many ways. You know, we all have an allotted amount of time and energy. And that allotted amount of time and energy will go somewhere. It will go somewhere. In our in the month of May, my allotted time and energy goes into flower customers, <laughs> largely. Uh, you don't find me preparing deep, in-depth messages in the month of May, and not necessarily in the month of June either, because I'm often trying to recover from May. So I'm using that as an illustration we have a certain, we have this allotted amount of time and energy and it goes somewhere and the question we have to ask ourselves is where is it going if it is not going if it's not turned toward our children if it's all being uh diverted into other things then guess what somebody's being cut short and it's our children and so we have to consider those things busyness <clears throat> It can be, yeah, it can just be the, the busyness of, of uh, it, can be a, a, it can be both on a carnal aspect of busyness or it can be on a spiritual aspect of busyness as it was with Samuel where we, uh, we focus, you know, as, as people, there's things that, that we, we all have those things that we, uh, we do well. We all have those things that we thrive at. 
We all have those things that come easy for us. And you know, that is where the temptation is to put our focus. And that can be, or let me also say, we all have those things that we really enjoy doing. And that is where the danger can come in on the spiritual aspect of things. The work of the Lord and the work of souls and helping other people and seeing lives changed and and uh, uh, seeing a sinner repent and many, many things like that. It's actually addicting. There's a thrill in it. There's a joy in it. And a, and a person who is in that kind of ministry actually has to be extremely careful because that can be so... A purposeful that other things just get neglected because they seem so mundane and so, uh, you know, rewardless as such. Because the rewards aren't immediate, and that's where that's where men who are in uh, in uh, some any po- any type of uh, spiritual work as such quote uh, that's a danger that we have to watch out for because. Uh, Raising a family and uh, taking time with boys and girls and and uh, playing ball in the backyard with them and letting them wrestle you to the ground and acting like you lost and all those kind of things don't necessarily show an immediate reward. Even though they are fun, right? But just, it's like, this is real life. This is where we live. <clears throat> Busyness. It can be, it can be just, you know, busyness of work. It can be busyness of, of uh, carnal pursuits. I'm going to call our work carnal <laughs> for the sake of tangible. You know, it can be money making. It can be building that business. It can be uh, paying that house. It can, you know, it can be becoming that successful person. It can be all those kind of things that are busying us. And all the while... Our children are growing up and our hearts are elsewhere. So busyness is a common pitfall. I'd like to talk about another common pitfall and that is also found here in 1 Samuel. Just paging back to chapter 3 of 1 Samuel. Uh, This pitfall is passiveness. 1 Samuel 3, verse 11 to verse 13. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him, that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And so God pronounces a judgment here on the house of Eli forever, for the iniquity which he knew. His sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. Eli was indeed a passive father. Uh, there is an earlier scripture where it tells us that he told his sons that they shouldn't do what they're doing. But that wasn't enough for God. 
Eli was the father. And God had, uh, God had, uh, had a, uh, a, uh, an expectation in Eli that Eli did not fulfill. And that was that uh, he, would, he, he had a responsibility to restrain his sons. He had a responsibility to step in and do something about it. And he didn't. He knew it was wrong. He knew it was wicked. He knew they weren't where they needed to be. And he didn't do anything about it. <clears throat> Passiveness. You know, we, uh, we probably grimace a little bit when we read about that African man beating his wife. And that is very, very wrong. Do you know what? Passive American men are in the other ditch. Passive American men are in the other ditch. They have no backbone. They do not stand up. They will not say no. They just let everything happen. That's our world. And you know the unfortunate thing about our, our, uh, our, to think through this a little bit. There, there's a danger. There's a danger, even in our Anabaptist, quote, churches, that uh, we become passive because the church can deal with it. You know, the preacher, he can deal with my rebellious son. We just kind of sit back and, and rather than rising to the challenge and exhorting it, admonishing and saying no. um, You know, Saying no can actually, you know, we're afraid. We're afraid to say no many times. But you know, we would have more respect as a father if we would say no on, at given times when we know it really should be said. Nicely, kindly, and firmly say no. I had that testimony in my own youth. Um, I was not a rebel, I don't think. But something took place in my experience with my car that my dad did not approve of at all. And... uh, My dad saw what I did with my car. He's... he, he, He... He kindly but firmly leveled with me. And he said, no. You're going to have to change that. You know what? My respect for my dad at that point increased. And I actually went further than what my dad had said I needed to go. I actually went back to where I knew my dad's heart actually was. He, he had grace with us boys because we kind of wanted to do some of our Mennonite things with our cars. And he had a little grace. He had a few his way. How much can he hone us in and how much that we... But there was a point where I did something that he did not approve at all. I mean, I had crossed the line. 
And he, he clearly, and there's something changed in my heart when he did that. And I went from this even box of I knew he would be okay with it, but I knew it wasn't totally his heart. I knew he actually wanted me over here. And when he said that no, I went right over to here. There's something in my heart. There was something that took place there. And like I said, I wasn't a rebel as such. I, I had a decent relationship with my dad. And he, he tried to, in that setting, he tried to, he, he initially had tried hardlining everything. And my older brothers had burst the seams under that. And that hadn't worked. So by the time I came, he was, he was dealing with more grace and, and trying to be a, a gracious father in guiding us and, but when that happened, it, it was a good thing. And I, I often look back on that and uh, value what took place there, realizing what it actually did in my own heart. And that when he said no, uh, my respect went up and I actually went, took a step in the direction of where I knew he would actually be blessed and appreciated. Even though there had been a point where he would have been okay but I knew it wasn't exactly what he would have wanted. <clears throat> so I want to encourage us with that <clears throat> as uh, fathers. Rise to the responsibility to lead, to instruct, to restrain, as the scripture says there regarding Eli. To say no when we know, we know that we should be saying no. It needs to be gentle, but it needs to be firm. The guidance, the instruction, the direction needs to be gentle, but it needs to be firm. It needs to be clear. It needs to mean what it says. <clears throat> Our leadership needs to be kind, but it does need to be clear. So I want to encourage us to not be a passive father, but to be active. The next uh, pitfall we'd like to consider for a bit is that of carelessness. Uh, Not being careful about parenting. And that example we're going to find in Genesis 19. This is the example of Lot, and we all are familiar with his experience in life. I suppose in Genesis 19, of course in verse 1 it says, And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, bowed himself with his face toward the ground. So we have these two angels coming. And this is at the point where they're coming to tell Lot that this city is going to be destroyed. <clears throat> and uh, we could uh, read all of or more of that. But let's jump over to verse 12 of chapter 19. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides... Son-in-law, or the, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. 
For we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxen great before the Lord, face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. <clears throat> and Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which had married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. <clears throat> All right, we will uh, just stop there and consider this account. You know, I suppose we could come to a lot of conclusions about Lot. A lot of varying ones. <clears throat> and I don't know... I don't know if there's any of our conclusions that would be totally right. But I think one thing we can say is that I don't think any of us would really want to find ourselves in Lot's shoes at that point, would we? To go out, find ourselves in a situation where God has spoken and we go and endeavor to uh, convey that message to our children and they mock and laugh at us. I don't think any of us really would want to find ourselves in those shoes. What got Lot there? What got him there? You know, we can, uh, we know what he did. We know that he took his family down to that wicked city. He apparently raised his family there. Um, he was careless for sure. <clears throat> He was careless. John 17, verse 15 and 16, Jesus in praying says these words, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You know, we are, we are in this world. And, it's the will of God that we be in this world. It's the will of God that we be in this world today with everything that uh, it consists of. It's, uh, this is where God has us. But the question or the, uh, the, uh, the challenge as far as carelessness is, can we discern how to be in this world but not be of this world? Can we discern that fine line on how to live in this world, but not be overtaken by this world. Can our children discern that? Can we help them discern that? How to live in this world. And to relate to this world in such a way that we influence it and not it us. That's what we're left here for. And that's why we are a little community of believers in the middle of this world. That's why God didn't just set us all, you know, uh, one here and one over there and one up there and, you know, mouths apart. It's God's will that... Sorry, Tim, we left you back there a long time and you by yourself. But it's God's will that we be a community of believers in this world. We were not meant to stand alone, but that we are a community of believers together able to discern, able to understand, able to wisely live in this world, but not be of this world. Able to raise our children in this world, but not be of this world. Able 
And Lot went down there by himself, as I would understand it, with his family. And it was not a good thing for him. It was very careless of him, actually, to uh, take his family down there in that city and to try to raise them there. James describes one aspect of pure religion in his writing as keeping ourselves unspotted from the world. And so, yeah, as a, as a people, um, we need each other. We need brotherhood life. We need church life together in order to together represent a community of people who are in this world but are not of this world. Who are able to discern what this world is and where its, its uh, tentacles start reaching into our lives and are able to deal with that. And able to maintain uh, hearts of integrity in this world, but not being of this world. You know, how close can we walk with the world and not be influenced by it? How much can we listen to their philosophies and not begin to think as they think? That's sobering questions. How much can we do that? How much were Lot's children able to uh, mingle and listen to the philosophies of Philosophies of Sodom and not become like Sodom. Somehow Lot seems to have maintained his integrity. Maybe that's where we find ourselves. You know, well, don't bother me. I can wade my way through it. Can your children? Can that other brother? That weaker brother? Carelessness. Not realizing the power of this world. I'm going to assume that Lot didn't realize the power of that wicked city and what it would, how it would affect his family and his children. Do we realize the power of it? So, carelessness. Let's, uh, by the grace of God, endeavor to uh, not be careless but to be careful about parenting, about parenting in our world, to be careful about our associations in this world and to uh, be careful to have our family in a, in a place where there's godliness and there's uh, a community of people that are in this world but not of this world. <clears throat> Those are several uh, pitfalls that are coming to us as men. I would guess there could be more. But I am going to change focus just a little bit and give just several practical pointers yet in, in uh, wrapping the message up here. Several practical pointers to consider as we think about turning our hearts as fathers, uh, turning the focus of our hearts toward our children our families. First one I'd like to give us is simply that of, uh, is the encouragement to lead your family in joyful family events. Lead your family in joyful family events. It could be family worship on a daily basis where you just enjoy each other as a family together, singing, reading the scriptures, reading a devotional lesson or whatever you have, however you choose to 
have your worship time as a family, but lead your family in joyful family events to where you enjoy it together. You look forward to it. Uh, make it a part of your lives. It could be uh, family outings or picnics, a picnic in the backyard or a picnic at a local park or something like that. Uh, it could be games in the backyard. It could be having... Uh, having another family over and enjoying fellowship in the backyard or in the living room or whatever. But joyful family events. Lead your family in joyful family events where you enjoy uh, life together as a family. Second uh, pointer I'd like to encourage you with, and especially this one uh, would probably have a little more bearing to parents with young children. But as you consider turning your heart toward your family, I'd like to encourage you to uh, teach your little ones prompt obedience and respect for your authority. For your authority. Teach them. Prompt obedience and respect for your authority. I'm being kept young at this point yet with the little one that I have in my house that I'm enjoying to disciple. Very, very teachable. Very, very full of energy. But very teachable. And, uh, you know, as a father, I don't... uh, I don't know what it is about fathers, but there's always that place of a father where a mother's need to hold a place of authority and, and, and respect in the lives of children too. But somehow, fathers have, should have, uh, may I say, even a deeper. I don't know if that's saying it right, but there's something about a father. Um, we should establish in, their, in the lives of our little ones through loving, firm Discipline, the respect and obedience of our little ones. They should come when we say come. They should bring the toy when we say bring the toy. They should sit on the chair when we say sit on the chair. Our little ones should do that. I want to encourage you in that as you turn your heart toward home. Turn your heart toward your little ones. They're only little for a short time. And uh, to learn that kind of respect. And granted, I think many of you have been there. You know what it is to have a child who is just as miserable and cranky and and you take them and you lovingly mete out the appropriate discipline and you have a sweet child on your hands that looks up in your face and smiles. And it doesn't always happen the first time, but that is a rich reward for the... uh, And so I want to encourage us with that thought as well. Teach your little ones prompt obedience and respect for your authority. And if you do that, it will go a long way in them then respecting other authority in their lives as well. Third point I'd like to consider for a few moments is watch over your children when interacting with other families. This came out a little bit in our brothers' meeting about the dangers of uh, children playing with cousins and 
all sorts of uh, those kind of activities. And I listened to a message uh, by uh, Emmanuel Esch at uh, Charity that he preached recently. And in the testimony time, someone raised that same concern of uh, watching over your children when they're, uh, yeah, in those Sunday afternoon activities, Sunday evening activities, we as parents get busy fellowshipping and we're having a good time. uh, Be careful. Children are children. And if not given proper oversight, things can happen that you later wish wouldn't have happened. So don't don't be assuming that uh, it wouldn't happen to your children. Uh, Watch over those afternoon activities. And uh, I would recommend that you don't allow children, and this can... This can range in age, but it can be little ones as soon as they're able to run up to whatever. Uh, But they really, you would be wise to not allow them, a group of children or a few children, to play in a bedroom with the door closed on a Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. You would be wise to not allow those kind of things. Keep them playing in the open rooms where everybody can see them or in the... In a, in a room right next door with the doors wide open. Uh, they don't need to run upstairs or in the back corner of the basement. Uh, things can happen. <clears throat> Sharpen your mind uh, regarding the carefulness and the attention to give to your children. Know where they are. Know what they're doing. Be involved. You know, it's easy to enjoy our times of fellowship and forget to, I remember in years gone by, uh, it, it was, and I still see this happening at times, so I, I'm, encur- I'm encouraging it. I, I, it's not unusual. I've seen it happen. I've seen parents get up, there's discussions going on, all of a sudden you realize one of the parents is gone. Uh, soon he returns, he was just out in the backyard looking what's happening. It's a good thing. These things should happen. <clears throat> And take an interest, as your children get older, take an interest in uh, in your child personally and in what they're uh, pursuing and what their interests are and what they're doing and what they're doing with their friends. Take an interest in their lives. All right, going to wrap it up with uh, Malachi 4, verse 6 again. How God uh, exhorts us. uh, And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. The blessings are many when we have a focused heart turned toward our children. The blessings are many. The consequences are huge. If we have our focus turned toward other things and neglect our little ones, our children. So may God help us to uh, turn our hearts in the right direction. Let's uh, stand together, close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we 
just pause in your presence. We are needy here today. I acknowledge that myself. When I think about being a responsible parent, giving the the uh, giving adequate care, adequate guidance. Adequate instruction. Adequate, adequate direction, Lord. When I think of those things, I would feel like I fall so very far short. And yet, Father, I also recognize that as the Scripture says that in the, in the context is different, but as as you say in your word, Father, that where there's a willing heart, it's not attributed by what a man hath. And Father, if we have a willing heart, and we engage ourselves, though we do not do it perfectly, we thank you that your grace does abound. And the rewards are are real. And Father, we thank you for that. God, I pray here today, you you are our Father. You are the Father of our children. Father, do instruct us as parents. And grant us, Father, grace and wisdom to be able to make the difference in their lives. To be able to provide that care that nurture, that instruction, that guidance that will pave the way for them to lead, to be spared many a battle, many a hurt, many a fall, and pave the way for them to lead a joyful, overcoming Christian life. Father, bless each one present here today. And grant us, Lord, the rewards of these truths, we pray in our own experience. Father, bless, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.